That is a beautiful song, and I know that's what we want to say and believe every day, yet not I, but through Christ in me, but so often in my own mind, when I'm aware of what the Lord wants of me and wants me to act by faith in Him on, I say, yet not I, pick somebody else. Send somebody else to do that. I, I'm tired today. I, I don't feel well. I, I don't want to do this right now. And so often in our day-to-day lives, it's easy to lose sight of all of the blessings that we have in Christ, and that in Him, we can do whatever He asks us to do. He's given us His Spirit, and we're, we're completely prepared with His Spirit and His Word to complete everything He's asked us uh, to do. I remember when I was younger, my dad was very patient with me, and he would let me help him with projects. And at some point in time, he started to let me uh, do the projects. And now being a father and uh, trying to do similar things with my sons, I am beginning to realize more how patient he actually was with me and how impatient I am um, on the inside. Uh, and it's, it's my heart issue, not, not their problem. But as we... As we grow up as a child and we start to do new things, there's a fear within us of disappointing the one who's given us the job. There's a fear of making a mistake, of, of breaking whatever we're working on or ruining it or uh, whatever it might be. And that fear doesn't necessarily go away as we become an adult and as we realize the mission, the purpose that God has left with us uh, to do in his uh, stead here on earth. And I can, I can think of times in my life where I've started on a project and I'm just I'm crippled by fear of doing the next part. Uh, so maybe if you, you, know, you only have two boards left and you've already cut like three wrong and you're worried that I, I need to get these just right or I'm going to have to run to the store again and this is going to take another hour and it's just going to be added on and added on. And we can often be overcome by our own fear of completing a project that is accomplishable for us. And what we see in uh, Acts 9 overall is Christ take Saul and convert him. Saul has now met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he changes him. And he doesn't just change him and head him off in a new direction and say, good luck, I hope you make it. He he follows through with him, and all through Saul's ministry, you can see the fruit of him trusting in the Lord every step of the way. And words are put to that in in Paul, later Paul's epistles, when he speaks about how his ministry is always done in the name of Christ, how his ministry is always done by faith in Christ, in the strength of Christ, by the grace of Christ. All of Paul's ministry, he depended on the Lord. And for a lot of us, when we get saved, it's not this moment where we immediately fully depend on the Lord to do what he's asked us to do. It takes time, and the Lord is patient with us, more patient than my dad ever was with me and I will ever be with my children. And he's helping us step by step to let go of the things that are holding us back from following him, and he's helping us to trust him more and more every day. 
And so as we've gone through the book of Acts, uh, Pastor Lance has been preaching it, and uh, it's one thing to sit there and listen to a sermon, and then it's another thing to study the text and then have to come up and say the same things and, and believe it and, and be practicing it yourself, having depended upon the Lord. And so as I came into the study of this text, I was struck by my own lack of belief in Christ to share the gospel with others. My lack of belief to, to pray for opportunities and then my lack of belief to take those opportunities when they came. And so what we need to remember is that those things will never be easy or convenient. It'll be awkward. Uh, there'll be things that it'll seem like not a good time. And we have to trust the Lord in, in all of that. But as we pray for opportunities, the Lord will give us opportunities. And I saw him do that in my life this last week. He was faithful to give me an opportunity to share the gospel because I asked him. I said, Lord, please, please help me to be doing this um, because he's, he's faithful. He wants to do it. That's the plan is for us to share his name with others. And he wants to be doing that. And when we pray that, he'll, he'll grant it to us. And so as we see... Jesus now takes Saul as his chosen vessel to go to the nations, to spread the word of Jesus' name, and to multiply the church. We see that Jesus' mission is unstoppable. The Lord Jesus is unstoppable in multiplying his church. And so we should trust him. He cannot be stopped. No matter what comes up, and we'll see in Saul's life here, uh, you know, you'd expect that after having had your life changed, had the Lord appear to you, that like, you know, right away you'd see lots of converts, uh, that the name of Christ would go forth. But that's not what happens for, for Saul in our text. They try to kill him twice. The, the people who are supposed to now be his friends, the believers, they don't believe that he's a believer. They reject him. They're afraid of him. They say, we don't think you're actually a disciple. And so immediately Saul faces these, these roadblocks that he has to trust the Lord with. He has to trust that these are a part of God's plan for his purpose to be fulfilled in Saul's life. And so as we work down through this, we need to, to ask ourselves, do we really believe that Jesus can do what he said he will do? Will he build his church? Will he save the lost? Is his work on the cross sufficient to save sinners? And can he use me, a sinner, to share the gospel with others? And we need to, to question ourselves of that and then, and then to give ourselves over to Christ in that mission. Christ has promised to do it, and he wants to do it through us, his chosen vessels. And we so often choose to do other things. We choose to, to follow our own purposes in life. But instead, we should, we should give ourselves over to what Christ's purpose is for our lives. And so that's what we'll see, first of all, is we... Uh, there's three ways in this text that we can uh, trust the Lord in his mission to multiply the church. And the first way is that we can surrender ourselves to the new purpose he has given to us. And so what a change it is in Saul to go from heading to Damascus to persecute the church. And now as he enters Damascus, after having met the Lord, he's proving the Christ. He's, he's convincing them that Jesus is the Son of God. And it's just an amazing change that's happened here, and we see that immediately his purpose has changed, and he embraces it. 
He surrenders himself to what Christ is doing, Christ's purpose for his life. And so before we jump in, I just want to zip back over to verse 15 and look at what the Lord Jesus said to Ananias um, about Saul in that verse. It says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And so at some point in there, God must have communicated that this was the mission, and he must have communicated directly to Saul. And so now Saul is aware of this. He knows that God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, their purpose for me is to to go and spread the gospel. And now that he has the Spirit, and he's aware of the correct interpretation of the Old Testament, Saul doesn't mess around. He jumps right in. So go to the first verse in our text, verse 20. It says, Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. So right away, Saul believes. He he believes in Christ for salvation, but then he embraces the new purpose that Jesus gave to him to accomplish, to take his name uh, to the nations. And so here he is with the Jews in the synagogues, and it says, Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. And so just like our minds should be like, wow, that's a big change, that's what the people um, in the synagogue saw. So here's Jews that they would have been aware of Saul. They would have known him as a, as a famous uh, Jewish man, a, a leader. And it says in verse 21, Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem? And has he come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? And so immediately we see that they're amazed. And I think it's amazing that we shouldn't just skip over this. This is the only... Uh, words that someone says that are in our text that Luke has chosen to record for us. So Luke has limited space in writing this letter for Theophilus, and he records what they actually said about Saul in this situation because it's so amazing. He says it's amazing, but then he shows their response, that they're amazed. And look at what they say. They say, is this not he who destroyed those? So he goes from a destroyer of the ones who follow the name of Christ, to uh, one who is preaching the name of Christ. So he's gone from a persecutor to a preacher. God has completely turned him around to work for him and to accomplish his purpose. And they get it. They say, uh, has he come here for that purpose? They knew what purpose Saul was coming to Damascus for. It was to uh, take prisoners of the believers there. They knew that his purpose was to come and persecute the church, to put the church down. And on that trip, on the road to Damascus, here he is, completely turned around, lifting up the name of Christ and saying, Jesus, he is the Son of God, believe. And we've got to understand, he's talking to, to Jewish people here. And they understand who the Christ is. And just like when Jesus said that he was the Son of God, they would see this as blasphemous if they don't choose to believe in Jesus. And so here Saul is, he's saying, yes, I was just like you. I I didn't think Jesus was the Messiah. I rose up against his church. I tried to destroy them. But look, it's true. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one that was promised to come. And you can believe in him too. And we wish that, that these Jewish people would have believed. But they choose not to. And we'll see that in a second here. 
But as we see in verse 22, it says, But Paul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. And so we see there that that Saul continues to to grow in strength, uh, to grow in boldness, and he's confounding the Jews. The Jews are just bewildered. They They don't get it. It just, it confuses them. It doesn't compute with what they know to be true of Saul and what they know to be true of what they believe are faithful Jews. And so as we see that, uh, Paul, he's, just, he's proving that Jesus is the Christ. He's arguing for the Lord Jesus Christ, and we see this amazing change in his life. And so I know in my life, uh, it, it wasn't a, a moment where I just decided that this is it. I'm going to go and, and do everything that God has called me to do. I lacked that knowledge as a younger person. And I think that can happen, but oftentimes God works in our lives slowly and patiently, and maybe there's one thing today that he's pointing out that's saying, hey, you, you're holding on to this thing, and it's, it's keeping you from my purpose for your life. It's keeping you from being able to, to throw yourself into this and do it for my glory. And as I thought about uh, how Saul just jumps in and, and does this, um, I thought about something I saw the other day. Um, I've been having some, some neck tightness and, and pain recently, and I was looking online for some stretches of how to kind of loosen those things up, and so maybe, maybe you can relate. Uh, you're probably smart, and you go to the doctor and, and get you know, someone to, who knows what they're doing to help you. But I went to the internet and, and looked that up, and I found the craziest thing that I, that I think I've ever seen. It was disturbing to me. Uh, there was this chiropractor who put this, this strap on people's heads, and he had them lay down, and they had to completely relax. And then he would, once they were relaxed, he'd take out the tension, and then he would yank them from their head. It's as disturbing as it sounds. But people are getting incredible relief from this because it's, it's like stretching out their, their spinal cord and, and things that are out of place are being, and being put back and stuff like that. And as I watched them, I just I couldn't believe that they trusted him enough to just like go limp and to let him like pull on their neck or pull on their head and then yank them. And he yanked them a good like foot and a half or two feet. It, it was, it's incredible. You should look it up. It's, it's kind of disturbing. I, I'm not saying you should try it, okay? I had thoughts of like, oh, I could do that up on stage today. I could get a volunteer. and I'm just kidding. But this, this, these people trust that chiropractor to help their back. And, and they, they relax their bodies and allow him to, to do that, that work on their, on their neck to provide them relief. And they've come to a point in their life where they just can't take the pain anymore. They're willing to submit themselves to, to this practice to help them. So I'm not recommending this. I don't know if it's, if it's a good thing or not. But I think it helps us see that when we surrender our lives to the Lord, we, we have to let go of everything. And so when, when Christ spoke in his ministry, he says, anyone who wants to come after me, let him pick up his cross and follow me. And this is the, the example, the, the picture of what discipleship looks like. Because when we come to Christ, we're, we're holding all these things that we love, all, all these desires, all these possessions, 
all these purposes that we want for our life. And when Christ saves us, we don't necessarily always just drop those things. We keep holding on to them. And they're important to us. But as we understand who Christ is and what He's done for us and His promises and all the blessings that we have in Him, we can begin to to let go of those things and to find our complete life in Christ. And so I think that's what what Christ was talking about there is that uh, when when we lose our life, we find it. He's talking about the things that we desire, our ambitions, uh, our, our possessions. When we start to, to give up those things, we start to truly live in Christ. Yes, we're alive in Christ through salvation, but we can also live in Him in life. And so, I think Paul uh, kind of gives us another glimpse into this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. So I want to read that for us real quickly here. Um, Because it helps us to see that this life, when when we realize that Christ gave up his life for us, then we can give up our lives for him. And it's just a beautiful thing that, that because he gave all of himself, he, he gave his life on the cross to die for us so that we could be forgiven of sins. It's, it's a small thing for us to drop the things that we love, to love him more and to, and to love him absolutely. And so in Galatians 2.20, Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so in that verse, we see uh, Paul identifying with Christ's crucifixion. He's saying, I am dead. I'm no longer alive. I'm alive in Christ. I live in Christ. And so we need to begin to think through how that works out in our lives. And so one thing I like to tell people is, you know, Kill Ryan, take no hostages, and live to Christ. Because so often we say, yeah, I want to I follow Christ in faith, but then we keep, we keep holding on to things that we know are coming between us and the Lord. We know that we're, we're not truly giving our lives to Christ to follow through with the purpose that he's given us. We're, so to speak, taking hostages with us. You know, oh, I, I can give up this, but oh, I really I don't want to give this up quite yet. You know, you can have this, Lord, but, but I, I like this. And what Christ calls us to is, is to come to him and to lay down our lives because he gave himself for us and to live to him and to fulfill his purpose that he's called us to in our lives. And so often in service, um, you know, if you've, if you've done a lot of serving in any organization, uh, people will come up to you and they'll almost feel bad for you that you're serving. They'll come up to you and be like, oh, I'm so sorry you had to do that. Um, you know, here, let me do that. Or uh, thank you for doing this every week. Like, you don't have to do that. And, and different things like that come up where uh, there's almost, almost this foreseen shame in, in serving the Lord. And I think our response to that should be, um, Christ gave up his life for me. You know, what little thing is it for me to do this? And it's the same with sharing his name to the nations. And I think that's what Saul realizes here, is that Christ gave up everything for me. He gave up his life. And so what, what small thing is it for me to share his name in the synagogues 
and to share his name with unbelievers so that others can come to him and believe as well. And so I I pray for you that, first of all, you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, and that now as you look to him in faith in day-to-day life, you're able to, to let go of what you want and to let go of where you want to see yourself in five years and to let go of Uh, some of the feelings that haunt you, even your fears, and to say, uh, that's me, and I I put that to death, and I live in Christ, because I know this is true of me because of what Christ has done. And so, first we've seen here that, that Saul surrenders himself to his new purpose in Christ. He gives himself over to it. His whole life is defined by this, from uh, his conversion forward, that he wants to be about sharing the name of of the Lord Jesus. And then we also see in our text that he does this boldly. And so we can learn from him that we also can be bold in our new purpose, even when we face roadblocks. And so as we look down through these things, uh, we can just, uh, we can sympathize with Saul how awful these things must have appeared to him, thinking that he's on this new adventure, this new mission where Christ will always be faithful, and it would have been quick and easy for him to doubt the Lord in this new mission because of all of the, the feedback he got, all of the roadblocks that he ran up against. And so as we work down through these verses, uh, we'll just point out a few of those things together. So verse 23, it says, Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. So I've never had anyone try to kill me, as far as I know, but... But I often fear in sharing the gospel that I will be rejected, that I will be looked at funny, or that I'll mess up and misrepresent Christ. And they're trying to kill him. They're trying to kill Saul. And so I think a lot of the fears that we have in our own mind, uh, we can look at Saul's boldness in these situations, and his faith in Christ ultimately is what it is, his, his trust of him and the purpose he's called him to. And we can take heart. We can say... If Saul, through faith in Christ, can, can die to himself and be okay facing plots of murder, surely I can say to my neighbor, hey, you know what? Can I tell you what Christ did for me? Can I, can I tell you how he changed my life and how he can change your life and how he loves you and he, he died on the cross for your sins and you can, you can believe in him and have all these blessings in Christ? And so look at, look at these few things down through the text with me. So they plotted to kill him, and then verse 24, but their plot became known to Saul. I love this because in the book of Acts, throughout the whole book, there's this tension um, always of God sovereignly ruling over his church, making sure exactly what he wants to happen happens. And then there's also the side of things from our perspective where we have no idea what he's doing a lot of the time. And uh, just there's this human responsibility and there's the sovereignty of God. And I think that's what's coming up here. And I think Luke purposefully uses this, this language and doesn't spell it out. But it just happened to become known to Saul that they were trying to kill him. Okay, So God isn't finished with Saul yet. Saul needs to stay alive. And so God makes the plan, their plots, known to Saul. And they watched the gates day and night to kill him. And so this isn't just like a, you know, they're sitting around like, oh, it'd be kind of fun to kill Saul and get him out of our way. This is a, okay, we're going to wait 
until we find him. We're going to wait at the gate. Eventually, he's going to have to come out of the gate. And when he does, we're going to kill him. They're, they're after him. This is uh, an assassination. This is premeditated murder where they, they want him out of the way because his message is so powerful because the power of God is so richly displayed in his life. So in verse 25, then the, then the disciples took him by night and let him out down through the wall in a large basket. So that's probably a lot. A lot of us are familiar with that picture from you know, learning this story as a kid and things like that. And so here's Saul. He, he leaves for Damascus, ready to pillage the church, to, to crush them, to show the might of the Jewish people to these people following this new person, Jesus. And now we see him leaving Damascus. They're trying to kill him now. His, his old friends are trying to kill him, and he's coming out of a, a window in a basket. It's almost comical how, how God has changed his situation so much and how Saul just embraces it, that he, he loves the new purpose that he has from God. And obviously he doesn't just want to get killed, um, and so he, he escapes the city in this way. And a funny thing happens between these verses. We know from Galatians 1.17 that uh, there's a gap between verse 25 and 26. So in Galatians 1.17, Paul uh, shares that between these, he went from Damascus down to Arabia. So I have a... Hopefully you can see this map here. And so here's Saul. He's in Damascus. And so verse 26 says that when he's come to Jerusalem, but we know from Galatians that he didn't go directly to Jerusalem. He actually went down to, down over here to Arabia for three years. And so there's quite a gap here that, that happens. And it actually says he goes down to Arabia and then back to Damascus. And then he comes back to Jerusalem. And there's a three-year period that, that we don't fully know what Saul was doing. Many believe he was studying the scriptures and trying to, to gain a better understanding of, of Christ and the correct interpretation of um, a lot of the Old Testament, now understanding that Jesus is the Messiah. And so uh, why does Luke just combine these two? Why is there just an and? Why doesn't he explain that there's this gap here? And I think it's because... Uh, he's just pointing out the, the immediate pushback, the, the different stories where Saul is trying to fulfill his purpose to the Lord, and he's doing it, but he keeps getting pushback. He keeps meeting these roadblocks, and uh, it's shown here together as kind of one, uh, one example. And so in verse 26, we read, And when Saul had come to Jerusalem... He tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. That's got to be aggravating for Saul, right? I don't know if you ever had like clubs as a kid where there was like a secret password and then one of the kids decided that they were going to change the password while you were out and you're like, come on, just, just tell me the password. Like, just let me in. And poor Saul, he comes to Jerusalem here hoping, you know, to meet some some brothers and sisters in Christ and to fellowship with them and be encouraged by them. And he comes and they're afraid of him. They're hiding from him. They're saying, oh, we, we know what this guy's about. We got to get out of here. Uh, we don't want to be, uh, you know, tricked into showing that we're believers and then be persecuted by Saul. 
But thankfully, Barnabas is there. And so in verse 27, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the disciples, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And so there, uh, you know, Saul gets a representation from Barnabas, and he gets to share his, his testimony of coming to the Lord, and his testimony of, of immediately sharing boldly the name of Jesus. So you can see there in his testimony, he shares how he met Christ, how he was saved, and then how he immediately you know, began to fulfill the new purpose that Jesus had given him. And then in verse 28, he's able to be with them for a while. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists. And so if you think back a few chapters, uh, you might remember that the Hellenists are the ones to whom Stephen preached to and the ones that stoned Stephen. And if you recall, it pointed out that Saul was the one holding their coats as they stoned Stephen. And so here is Saul. He's, he's back in Jerusalem. These could be the very same people that he was, uh, you know, approving the stoning of Stephen. And now he's here, having believed in Christ, having trusted him as Savior. He has the Spirit. He's, he's boldly proclaiming the name of Jesus to these people that he was helping kill Christians. And we just see this, again, an amazing change in Saul because he's believed in Christ and he continues to believe in him and to take steps of faith in him. And so, again, uh, the Hellenists have not lost their reputation for murder. And here they are. They, they try to kill Saul again. Uh, it's a different group, uh, but it could be the same group that stoned Stephen. And it says, When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. And so, again, on our map, uh, we see that they they were down here in Jerusalem, and so they brought him down to Caesarea, and they probably sent Saul by boat to Tarsus, way up here in the north. And so, uh, Saul has traveled quite a bit now. And again, we see there that uh, Luke, I think he, he uses this language purposefully, when the brethren found out, Uh, You know, it's no surprise that they found out this was the plan of God because Jesus had a mission for Saul to go forth and proclaim. And it's pointed out several times in this text uh, that they tried to kill him, that they plotted against him, that the disciples were afraid of him, and that they tried to kill him again. And so all these roadblocks, and amidst all all these things that are bombarding Saul in his seeking to fulfill his new purpose in Jesus, it's shared twice with us that he boldly proclaimed the name of Jesus. And so Saul, he has lost, um, he, I think he still wants to be safe, but he doesn't want to be so safe that he doesn't feel like he can share the name of Jesus. And so even, you know, he knows that they don't like him. He knows that they killed Stephen, but he still wants to reach them with the gospel. He still boldly proclaimed the name of Jesus to them, knowing full well that they didn't like that, <laughs> that they would respond um, in hatred and in, in threats of murder. But Saul was so dedicated to doing what Jesus had called him to do that he was willing to risk that. He was willing to give himself over to that. And of course, Saul believes in uh, 
God's sovereignty that's watching over him. And he's willing to say, you know what, Lord? Uh, maybe there's someone here that, that you want to hear the gospel. And so I'm going to share the gospel. And if you want me to come and be with you, that's great. I'm okay with that. Whatever you want of me, I'm yours. And he, he gives himself over to the new purpose that he has in Jesus. And it's just beautiful to see him hitting these roadblocks and just uh, not really being disturbed by them. Being willing to, to face these things and continue moving forward in his new purpose that he has in Jesus. I think oftentimes uh, we easily get discouraged by roadblocks. I know I mentioned projects earlier. Um, about a year ago, our water heater broke, and it was like the worst timing to have our water heater break. We have um, a cellar in our house where the water heater is, and uh, it's like this hatch in our bedroom that you have to go through. And if you're wondering, it barely fits a water heater, we found out. So when, when the water heater went out, we need hot water, and so we got to get it fixed, right? So I have a new purpose to, to get hot water for our house. At that time, um, we were all sick. I can't remember what we had, but I remember we, we just didn't feel well. Um, my wife was pregnant, and so being sick, we didn't want to ask others to come and help us. So she's pregnant, so she's helping me move these water heaters around. And so we get the new water heater. We start putting it down the hatch, and it won't go. <laughs> it doesn't fit. And so in, in that part is um, there's a ladder that you climb up and down. It's like a homemade two-by-four ladder. And so we had to like lift the water heater back out and then remove the ladder and then drop it back down the hole to, to get it through. And so, again, this is me. You know, I can't remember what we had. Maybe it was like the flu or something. And, you know, no hot water. That's like the worst. Taking a cold shower when you're sick, it's awful. So here we are. We, we finally get it down there. I get it in place, hook everything up, hook the water up, and then I go to hook the gas up, and the gas line, the new gas line I bought, is too short. And so, you know, here begins the, the trips to Menards to, to get this done. So I go to Menards, I get a longer gas pipe, and it, the fitting on the pipe end is too small. It's too small of a fitting. So I just bought like a, a water heater gas line, and uh, apparently we needed like an oven gas line. I don't know. It's an old house. So, you know, go back, get another one. And, and I was pretty discouraged, you know, like hadn't showered yet. The water's cold. I'm sick. I had to have my wife help me when she's pregnant. All these things. And these, these roadblocks easily discourage us, right? I'm sure you have situations that you can relate to where it's just like, oh, it just keeps coming. It's piling up and piling up. And, and I think uh, a glimpse of what we can see here in, in this text is that roadblocks aren't always a bad thing. We know in the book of Acts that God often used persecution to, to move the gospel, to send believers to other places. And so I don't think it's any mistake here that Saul faced these roadblocks. And so maybe if I would have been less discouraged in those situations, um, maybe I would have had an opportunity to, to talk to someone about Christ at Menards. I don't know. But all I know is that when I was there, I was not in the Spirit. And I was not ready to share the gospel with anybody if the Lord gave me an opportunity. 
And so uh, we just keep, keep in mind that our God is, is sovereign and that roadblocks can be discouraging, but we need to see God's hand at work in, in everything that happens in our lives. And it comes a part of, uh, we have plans as well that, that we hold on to and we don't want to let go. But if we allow God to, to change our plans, uh, we'll be where he wants us to be at the time he wants us to be there. And he can use us to accomplish his purposes. And so when, when roadblocks come, you know, don't, don't necessarily just hate those and, and be discouraged, but say, Lord, is this, is this you sending me somewhere specific? Is this you putting me somewhere where I had not planned to be? Is there somewhere you, you need me right now? And, and just walking in the Spirit in everything. When, when things go according to your plans, and then when God changes your plans, uh, be ready to do whatever He asks you to do. And in all this, we know that, that God is unstoppable in accomplishing the multiplication of His church. And so we can trust Him because He's sovereign and He works all these things out for His glory. And I'm thankful that, that Steve didn't leave out verse 31 because it's, it's very helpful to us. Um, here at the end, um, we can walk in the fear of the Lord Jesus and the comfort of His Spirit. This is one of the, I think there's seven summaries like this in the book of Acts, and this is the, the fourth one, I believe. And it's very helpful to us because it reminds us that God is working inside of His church and that God is growing His church outwards. And it helps us to see, uh, to remind us that God is at work and that we can trust him. And so let's just look at this verse together. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And so uh, Luke, the author, points out the churches here, and he talks about how they have peace. So we're not sure uh, if this is because Saul has been converted um, or... If, if they're just trusting the Lord now, if they're not as afraid of, of Saul. I think it could be any number of those things or all of them. that The churches have just begun uh, to see that the Lord is amazing. That he changes the chief persecutor to be his preacher. To take his name to the nations. And if God can do that amazing work in Saul, you know, he can help our churches. He can give us peace. We can trust him in the midst of these things. And then also they were edified. And so this word uh, literally means to like build a house, to, to build up, to do a construction work. And so this, again, is an inward look at the churches. that They, they have peace, and God is also doing a work within the churches. And so God is at work. He's always watching and working, and He's building up the churches from within. And he's, he's training them to go out and fulfill uh, the purposes that he has for them. And then this last sentence here, And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. And I just love how, how he points this out, because in our text before, we saw uh, the fear of the believers as, as Saul came to them. And they were unsure whether or not to trust that he actually became a believer. And so we all struggle with fears. Uh, we, we let fears oftentimes control what we do, uh, where we go, or more often where we don't go. 
Um, all these things, fear affect us, and they're, they're present within us, and they, they, they guide us oftentimes in helpful ways. So if you're afraid of snakes, you're not going to go to a state that has lots of big snakes. Uh, you're not going to choose to live there. Um, if you're afraid of the dark, you'll carry a flashlight. Um, you know, lots of these things. If you're, if you're afraid of getting in a car accident, you'll wear a seatbelt. And so fear can be helpful. It can correspond with wisdom and trusting in uh, things from God. And so as we look at what, what does the fear of the Lord mean here, um, I, I often think uh, with this of uh, my children and how it's really fun to watch them when they don't know that you're there and to just kind of observe them. And if they're doing something good and they look over and see you, you can just kind of smile and they just kind of smile at you and, and they just carry on doing whatever they're doing. But if you catch them doing something bad and you're just standing there and then all of a sudden they notice you, it's, you know, they, they're ashamed and they, you know, might start making excuses and, uh, you know, any number of things. But they're, they're, there's a fear there that's helpful in that relationship. And so I think that's sometimes um, what we can do with the Lord because we believe that Jesus is always watching and working. He's fulfilling his purposes in his church. He's helping them inward in peace and edification, and then he's working outward to multiply the church. Jesus is always watching and working. And if we're believers, we have nothing to fear. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so when, when Jesus sees us doing something wrong, we're not afraid of losing our salvation and going to hell, but there is some shame that comes into that. It's like, uh, a child who's caught doing something wrong by their parent, where it's kind of like, oh man, you, you saw that, didn't you? I'm sorry. I, you know, I shouldn't have been doing that. Um, and it's the same with us in the Lord, where we believe he's always watching and working. We would confess that openly as believers, that yes, Jesus sees me. He never leaves me or forsakes me. But then when it comes to the things we know we shouldn't be doing, uh, we don't let that affect our decisions anymore. It, uh, it kind of leaves us in practice sometimes. And so we need to remember that, that Christ is, is watching and working all the time, and that that's a good thing, that that brings joy to our life and security because he'll, he'll never leave us or forsake us. And so it can kind of go two ways where, um, you know, if we're doing what's right, the fear of the Lord is a comforting thing where, uh, he's there. He's helping me. I'm fulfilling his purposes. I'm following him. And I can trust him because he promised to help me all the way through. And then if we're doing the wrong thing, there, there's shame in that. And we, we oftentimes hide what we're doing. And we need to realize that we can't do that from the Lord. And so I think uh, with these early believers, you know, they're not that far removed from Ananias and Sapphira and things like that where uh, they know that the Lord's holiness is a serious thing and that his believers are called to be holy. And when we don't live uh, for his purposes by faith, God is welcome to discipline us and to take us to be with him. And, and we can trust him with that, but we should be seeking to please him in everything that we do because he's died for us and called us to his purposes. And then secondly, to kind of go along with that, there's, there's the fear of the Lord, that reverence, that awe, that uh, I know he's watching and I want to do what he's asked me to do because he's, he's here with me and I can trust him. But then uh, alongside of that is the comfort 
of the Holy Spirit. And this is such a a relieving phrase because uh, Christ has promised to give us His Spirit. And so when we believe in Him, we have God's Spirit within us. And if you remember when Jesus uh, said in the Gospels, He says, I'm going away, but when I go, I'll send you another comforter. It's the, the same root word that's used here for the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And the idea of it is someone who is with you, who's beside you, who's encouraging you on in what you're to be doing for the Lord. And so we have everything we need. Christ has died for our sins and rose again. And when we believe in him, we were given his spirit, we understand his word, and we're given new purpose in this life. And we're able now to step forward by faith in Jesus because he's done all this for us. And it's him who works in us. It's not I who live, uh, who work, but it's Christ in me. And we believe that. And so because of all of these things that Christ has done, and because he's promised to build his church, and we see in Acts him, him multiplying his church, we can step forward by faith. And we can say, Lord, because you gave up everything for me, I can do this for you. I can trust you with this situation. I don't have to fear the roadblocks because oftentimes those are opportunities um, from Christ to, to lead us to where he wants us. And so that's my encouragement for you is, uh, along with me as we've studied through Acts, it's a fearful thing to say, okay, Lord, as you lead me, I will share the name of Christ with whoever you want me to. That's, that's a heavy thing for us, us to give to the Lord. But I encourage you uh, to do that and to see Christ's faithfulness as you walk with him by faith. He's unstoppable. He can do whatever he wants, and he's promised to build his church. And he wants to use us to proclaim his name and to bring glory to God. And so, as you go through this week, pray for opportunities. Ask the Lord. Uh, I, maybe I haven't been thinking this way, but would you please give me opportunities and help me to, to trust you as I meet someone who is clearly hopeless or who is clearly uh, not right with the Lord and have those opportunities and to use them for his glory. And so I just encourage you to, to be thinking about that and to have Christ's new purpose on your mind and to keep that refrain in mind of Christ gave up everything for me, I can do this for him. I can, I can follow his new purpose for my life. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ and that he is uh, powerful and working and watching. And we pray that you would just give us a fear of the Lord Jesus, that we would love him and devote our lives to him and that he would lead us and prove himself faithful over and over and over again. And that we would see you save people who are lost and far from you and that you would forgive them of their sins and show the power of the gospel to change our hearts. And so I pray for us this morning that we would believe and believe that uh, there's nothing to fear because our sins are forgiven, and to believe that in our new purpose, you have given us everything we need to follow through. And so help us as uh, we, like Saul, trust in you and boldly proclaim the name of Jesus. We pray that his name would go forth and bring glory to your name. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.